Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. You're listening to We Do Recover, a podcast where we celebrate people's lives in recovery. I'm your host of this thing, Jared Miller. Today I'm joined by the producer, Sean Denovan. And we have a special featured guest for you, Jean Singleton. Good morning. It feels like a dance club to get started. I like that. (laughs) The intro music is killer, right? Yeah. yeah. So this podcast is recorded in sunny St. George, Utah. Episode 41, part one, is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where addiction ends and healing begins. If you or a loved one need help, give us a call at 801-800-8142. And I say that every week. But I really do, like, I can think back on times where I, man, I, w- I had the gift of desperation. I really needed help. I think now that COVID's kind of been lifted, a lot of people are in that category. And I just want to put out there, like, all the excuses, all the reasons why not to call, put those aside. Because even if we are not a good fit for you, even if Steps Recovery Centers is not a good fit for you, our people will help you find a good fit for you. Whether that's insurance-wise, whether that's location-wise. Give us a call again, 801-800-8142. So let's do some check-ins. Gene, what is new and good in your world? New and good. Uh, well, we are getting another horse this week, so we'll have our fourth horse. I do equine therapy, and we're getting a wild Mustang from the three-point center. So they've had it for a few months and have been able to do some work with it. So hold on, Gene, is this the wild Mustang that you were telling me about that you were like saying that you went and saw it and you like the fear of God was struck into you? (laughs) No, we picked one online and they let it out of its corral and it raced down the chute and its eyes were white and my (laughs) eyes were white. And I said, that is not running around my backyard. So no, we got a calmer one that's, you could touch it that day. And that was a couple months ago. So we're going with one that's more low key. That's yeah. Horse number four. Yeah. What kind of horse is it? Um, you know, or I it's don't a know. it's a Mustang you yeah, said right yeah a Mustang yeah, she already so, answered that question yeah, yeah so it's so we'll train that to be able to ride that and hopefully have that one for a long time we've got a couple older horses that are that are showing their age they're great for therapy but we need some younger ones to be able to ride and do other things on so so we've been working on the shelter for that horse and doing a lot of work in the yard so we're excited for that nice yeah I like it I like it my new and good is I actually got assigned a co-client with you and a co-client yeah. with Shalee. So I'm officially doing individuals. Yeah. I call them indies because I like to be weird and cool. Oh. So I'm like, that oh. indie, right? We got yeah. the, I relate everything back to football because yeah. some of you know I'm an old football coach. And so you had like, you know, group drills and then you had individual drills. And so I kind of correlate the two oh. in my brain. It works for me. Oh, that's good. That's good. You have some, uh, it was nice to do that session with you this week. You have some things that I don't see or haven't thought about. I like how you challenged her at the end to speak in every group and kind of do that. So I, I'm excited to learn from you as well. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I look up to, I really do. I, you do fantastic stuff so that I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you. Yeah. Yeah. I've been impressed with you from when I met you, when you came and told your story the first time and talked about all the books you read. So I bought all the books and they're good books, right? Yeah, yep. And awesome. Following you, so. Thank you, Gene. You're welcome. So there's my new and good. Sean, do you got a new and good? Not an old and bad, buddy. Not, with, no? The bike is 100% working. Mm. Yeah, so I fixed the engine, then had an oil leak. Fixed the oil leak. There you go. Short and sweet. It's as good as new. It's, ready, it's mm-hmm. ready to roll. I got new bags on the side, and we're ready for a 1,000-mile ride next weekend. Nice. I like it. So See? It's good. Hey, I need to rent a bike and let's just go on a trip somewhere. Let's just throw a throw a dart at a map. You you tell me where, man. Of I, Utah, a map of Utah. Oh, oh, you want to do a short <laughs> ride? I see. Okay. Yeah. Come on, let's go up to the Canadian border or something. Yeah, no, I'm good on that. We'll go to like uh, Austin and back just for the heck of it. I'm good on that, buddy. No, no. You but just, you, you want to ride to like Ivan's and back? Yeah, see that'd be cool, like Gunlock. Yeah, that's what I'm talking that about. That was the Sean. best 20 minutes ever, Sean. Thanks. Yes. Okay, we'll get yes. you a bike. <laughs> yeah, you're still single, aren't you? Nope. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Married. 
next month. Engaged, yep, yep. Marriage is coming up. I mean, not married yet that you think you can just make plans like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, I'm married too. I have to involve my (laughs) wife with that. Yeah, there's that part, I guess. So she's reining us both in on Uh, here. Jeez, who brought you here? (laughs) Breaking everybody down. (laughs) Uh, Well, cool. So, Gene. Yes. What do you know? Well, first of all, let's hear a little bit about you. Like, you know, where were you born, raised? Just kind of give us a brief little backstory. Okay. So I was born in Salt Lake. Went to Cottonwood High School, um, had a pretty good childhood. I was uh, raised in the predominant religion, and I had experiences growing up that uh, I believed in that and always had faith in that. So that spirituality is a part of my story, and um, religion is a part of my story. So, so when I you, was. When you say the dominant religion, oh, oh. we have a lot of listeners okay. from out of state as oh, well. Okay. So it's based in Christianity. It's the yeah. LDS Church. Right. Latter-day right. Saints. Right. So um, I was born in that faith. Um, as I grew up, my dad drank on weekends, and um, he would drink a fifth on Friday night and a fifth on Saturday night. Um, when I was twelve, he quit drinking and had some experiences and started going to church with the rest of the family. So that kind of set my mind that there must be something to this that, that, and I had just, I, I was a spiritual kid as well. I had spiritual feelings and, and knew that there was something out there. So I, I was raised that way and didn't have really any trauma, just normal kind of trauma. I think that any teenagers had not feeling good enough, um, you know, wanting to be better at this and better at that. And so inadequacy, yeah, unworthiness, yeah. maybe. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Definitely unworthiness. Um, I think that most high schoolers would kind of feel that way. So, yeah. yeah so I uh, went away to college. I went to Cedar City in college and I read a book called Parenting with Love and Logic when I had my daughter and it talked about being raised by the generals and, and it was like my way or the highway. And, uh, when people that are raised that way get on their own, they kind of make bad decisions. And so when I went away to college, I was, uh, I decided I was going to rebel. So in my mind, I was going to rebel for, you know, a little while and then go back to the things that I believed. But I went and I uh, joined a sorority, which I enjoyed, and I started to drink. And when I drank, all of that insecurity left, and I was funny and I was the life of the party and you have these extra emotions and you love everyone you're with and so this was it it was uh I loved it from right away and right away I drank alcoholically I drank from we just drank on weekends in college I didn't start uh I just have one question before did you date a guy that drove a motorcycle I have, but not at that time. Oh, okay, okay. Just, you're, you're talking about rebellion, right? Yeah, We're talking yeah. about motorcycles, so I, I just wanted to ask. Yeah, I, I yeah. feel like I had to throw that out there. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. No, not in college. So so I started to drink in college, and as I started to drink in college, it's, you know, since we just did it on weekends, I still got good grades and did okay, but I was deceptive, and I think I always kind of had some kind of deception with me. I used to think, you know, I'm a Scorpio, so I get to be deceptive. So I was lying to my family at home who were paying for my college and giving me, I went to college in 1988. So they were giving me $200 a month spending money and paying for my college. I didn't have to work and and uh, so when I'd have the phone calls or go home to visit, I would tell them the things they wanted to hear and made up this elaborate story of the things I was doing. So being dishonest was a part of, of who I was. And I think I had done that as a teenager as well. So I'm going to college and uh, we're not supposed to drink in our apartments, but we do anyway. And we break all the rules and it's uh, about, I'm, it's my sophomore year now. and. Uh, my sophomore year, I got an apartment with one of my old roommates, but we got it with four other girls that were not people that drank or partied or did anything. And we were the worst roommates. We would have <laughs> parties in the house with people and we didn't respect them at all. One night I was, uh, I was dating a guy from Las Vegas and we ran up to the apartment and he fell on a beer bottle and cut his hand. Oof. Yeah. So it was bleeding and there was 
was a blood trail from my car up to the bathroom in our house all the way out. And when my roommates woke up, they saw the blood trail, but they couldn't find us because we had taken them to the hospital. And so <laughs> so that was kind of traumatic for them. I can just like think, right? Like those poor roommates were like, somebody died. Yes. Like somebody has gotten murdered in our apartment complex. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the end for them. So they told our landlord and during I was studying for finals and my parents called and said, you have to get home right now. We found out you've been drinking, even you've done some drugs. And when the landlord called my mom and told her these things, my mom said on the phone, oh, no, not our daughter. You've got the wrong person. Oh, yeah. And yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I, I came home and I was humbled for a while. Because you were so good at being deceptive. Yes. Right, G? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. had the story. So, so I came home and uh, I think it was for one semester, I just got a little job and my parents at that time said that they weren't going to pay for college anymore. So I paid for my college, but I lived at home with them so I could go to college because that was important to me. So for one semester, I, I was back on doing the right thing and being okay, but obviously I haven't heard anything about recovery or think that anything's wrong because I'm you a just college. I'm a college kid, yeah. Yeah. Even though my already girl, this is right. what we do. Yes, and my nickname was Lush, and I had no idea what that <laughs> meant. So I thought it was great. My roommate's nickname was Less Than Zero, so I thought that my nickname was better than hers. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, start going to the University of Utah, and I start dating people at the U, people in fraternities again, and and drinking on the weekend. I got a job at uh, it was TGI Fridays. I'd barely turned twenty one, and they. They had just opened a restaurant in Holiday where I lived. And so that job, we we would drink at the end of work and always go out after work. So so I drank and partied and got through school. By this time, <clears throat> I met a guy that dealt cocaine while I was going to college. So there's, you know, drugs involved in it and my uh, schooling started to slip because I was staying out all night, then I'd come home and uh and it wee hours of the morning and I would act like I was going to school when my parents were at home and then I'd go back to bed. So by this time I was in my senior year. So there was a guy in my classes that we had been in several classes together because we had the same major and he would go to all the classes and I would do all the readings. So I didn't go to class, but I did the readings and then we'd study for finals together and take the test. And we said, C's get degrees. Well, <laughs> barely got those but but right, then the right. next uh semester i dropped out and so things aren't going as well um do you think now did all that happen during the semester that you had to work and pay for your school no no this is like year subsequent year but so you, two more years so i i, I just want to point something yeah. out i find it pretty interesting that you went through this party stage when you kind of had a free ride right right, right i, mean, I did what it is yes. and then when your parents said okay no more you're paying your own way yeah. Did there was a period of sobriety? Yeah. A period of working hard and doing is it because you appreciated it more when you had to pay your own way? Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely when I had to pay my own way. But when I started drinking again, then it wasn't as important. So oh, okay. but I still, you know, I didn't move out of my parents' house because I wanted to get my degree. So so and the, it wasn't the, daily drinking at all. It was yeah. weekends. The grounding so. worked for a while to kind yep. of humble you and ground you and right. it worked for a while. Yeah, for okay. a short time. Okay. But I didn't do any spiritual work or anything I needed to do to get over it mm. or have even a desire to stop But drinking. it's interesting to, to just reflect back on when your parents allowed you to experience your natural consequences, you kind of went, holy cow. I got to right. It yes. made you move into more of the uh, preparation and action stage right. of your education. So did they start paying for you again when you? No, no, oh, okay, no. So from then on, I paid for my college, and then this is leading up to the uh, great story of my parents and my natural consequences. So I finally I woke up one morning. My mom came into my room and she said, "Oh my gosh, it smells like beer in here." And I would tell her, um, no, I spilled it on my uniform at, 
work and she said no you didn't let me smell your breath and oh my poor mother so (laughs) she got really angry and said get out of my house you can't live in my house anymore so i got all my stuff hung over packed up i uh they had given me a credit card for in case of emergencies that i had never used and i think i had a thousand dollars on it so i went to the bank and i pulled out the cash and i was able to go get a furnished apartment in taylorsville so i get all my stuff i'm like okay great I get to move out. I get to live this little life by myself and and drink when I want and go to work. And I think it was summer vacation, so I wasn't going to school. And I think I made it three weeks before I got my first DUI. So I um, three weeks living on my own. I was uh, driving. My girlfriend from college came in from California. So usually I tried not to drive because when you're 21 and a female, usually you can get people to drive. So, But, but real quick, the, the kind of... Um emotional flooding in in the argument that the confrontation between you and your family didn't stop you from drinking no by them punishing you by kicking you out did it fuel it did it stay yes the it same? definitely fueled it like okay. i needed someone to watch me and have <laughs> on my own and single there's another time in life when i was single and i very that's what it's the most dangerous for me so so, so your friend uh, comes to visit you yeah sorry i just want to point that yeah. out so yeah, we're stuff. driving and i don't people that know salt lake um where i was turning left on highland drive at probably 11 o'clock at night and there used to be a carpet store and there were like the men on the sign that went oh, back yeah. and forth and i turned left when the light turned green and i forgot to wait for the cars to go straight so <laughs> i caused an accident um i got so i got arrested for my first DUI I remember um, I had a boyfriend at the time that came and picked me up at the Murray police station and I think he picked my friend up and and they drove my car home I don't remember that car getting impounded for that one so I kind of hid that for a couple weeks until I finally told my parents that I had gotten this DUI and so I was uh, I left the apartment because now I have this to pay for and school starting and so I think I lived on my own for a month before I got my first DUI I get this DUI and everyone's really angry and so I say well I'll I'll take care of it myself I'll, I'll do these natural consequences. So I go in front of the judge. It was a female judge. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm, you know, a nice little Mormon girl in college. I made a mistake and and I'm sorry. Well, she gave me the maximum fine and sentenced me to two days and two nights in Salt Lake County Jail. Well, I didn't know anyone that went to jail at this time or anything about jail. And I think someone even told me, well, it'll be fine. You'll go for a weekend and you can do your homework. So when the dates come that I have to go to jail, I show up in my University of Utah sweats, my ponytail. I've got my pajamas and my contact solution and all of my books (laughs) and I'm going to jail. So I get to jail. And two hours later, when I'm being sprayed for lice in the women's shower by someone else, I realize <laughs> I am not going to be uh, wearing my own pajamas or even being able to study my books. Hold so, on a minute, Jean. Are you saying that they didn't let you bring in all of your clothes and eye contact solution, all that homework? They did not let me. And I seriously, when I walked into jail, I thought I was going to be able to study and, you know, wear my own pajamas. So oh, I man. was in Chuck. Sean, Sean, can you could you imagine being the bailiff that checked the checked in Jean? Like, right? Like she shows up with these bags and she's got all the like I mean, I'm 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 Mr. Normie. You, you, okay. you know I'm Mr. Normie. Yeah, you yeah. know when I think about going, I mean, all of everything even I am afraid of jail. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so I mean there's no I mean, walking in with my books and contact solution and That'd be crazy. Yeah. I've seen funny. Oz on TV. I know how stuff works. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Gene. Yeah. It's too funny. Yeah. So that was that was new for me. And I've been to jail since. And But that was the only time that I was sprayed for lice as well. So that was pretty demeaning there. So when I'm waiting to go to the women's facility, I'm sitting in a holding cell all day. And so I'm the 21-year-old, little entitled. Mm. Yeah. There. So I say to the police officer, 
am I going to spend like my whole two days in this cell or what? And he looks at me and he says, no, in a few hours, I'm going to take you to the women's facility and they like the new ones. So you better keep one eye open all night because Ooh. they're going to climb into bed with you. And I start, cr I'm crying. I call my dad on the phone and now he decides to help me. So he comes to the Salt Lake County Jail and says, I'm her father. I'm ready to take her home now. So nobody knew what was going on and they had to tell him that they could not release me from jail that he can't take me home now so and i think well a police officer would never lie to me so yeah typically they take the judge's order over a family parent's request yeah right? see we were very naive about this whole thing so um i go to the women's facility i read whatever books they had there some harlequin romance or something and get out so nice. yeah not that much trauma but still so then my parents wanted to help when i was in there and kind of came to save me but could not save me at that time. Oh, I gotta go quicker because we're almost at the break. So my life ends up like my first DUI then, I get one six months later, still in college. This time for my graduation president, present they pay for an attorney um i had hit a stop sign and my nose started bleeding so i wasn't in the car my attorney was able to get me off on a reckless because they couldn't prove i was driving mm. so i'm like this is how the legal system works you pay someone to lie and you know i got i didn't even lose my license for that manipulation one. at its best yes so my life continues and i get married as a senior in college and i marry a fraternity president and it's great because he's an alcoholic and his parents are alcoholics and so i get to go oh look family i'm gonna do this well we got married because i was pregnant and and the stick turned blue so we went to vegas and got married 18 days later hoping to get something over on someone but was it elvis no it wasn't it oh. was it was actually reverend cotton so okay okay <laughs> yeah so we get married and uh, work together for 13 years and i raised my daughter in addiction and by the time i'm at around 35 we are drinking every day i've had another dui arrest that i kind of get off that one because the judge says have you ever had a dui before and i say no so that's kind of number three um i get another dui right before christmas with my daughter in the car mm. my parents were on a mission at this time I remember so that one was devastating it was uh, right before Christmas so the money we had for Christmas we had to get my car out of impound and uh, didn't have a lot for her Christmas when we woke up on Christmas there were all these presents on our front door for my daughter so someone had kind of done a sub for Santa's for us that year so some great blessings in my life so that one I had to do two weeks in jail and then uh, but I got out for work release so now I've got about four DUIs and I'm in my you know, late 30s. I'm. Uh, my husband has divorced me by now because I'm losing jobs. I'm drinking every day. Probably for the last 10 years, I'm drinking every day and and shaking in the morning and going to get a pint just so I can like not throw up. And so it's taken over my life and I really can't function. And I'm during those times. Yeah. Did you ever have the desire to stop? Yeah, I would. I would lose a job. I would get a DUI and I would stop. And I would go to AA for a minute, especially when I got that uh, DUI with my daughter in the car. So I did stop for maybe three months and, and was introduced to the AA program. So I would stop. Uh, during those times and right before my divorce I stopped for six months did really well got a job as a waitress ended up the general manager within a few months and we came to St. George to visit my parents we went to Mesquite and I said husband let's just share a bottle of wine to because I'm going to make this great salary now and life is going to be good he said okay but you know we like you sober so I'm drinking this uh, glass of wine and right halfway through the glass of wine my uh addiction kicks in and i'm like i'm getting more i'm gonna get more tonight i'm gonna drink in the morning and i was drunk for the next six months i had the keys to the liquor closet at my job and i uh was drunk at work i was drunk in the morning i was drunk for six months and that's when my husband finally divorced me and uh i came to saint george to get sober for the first time you literally just described unmanageability yeah right yeah yeah, awesome. six months and, and that step two is that insanity that after a period of sobriety, I can drink like a normal person. And so many times in my drinking career when I would 
get sober for something. As long as I was sober for a while, I knew what it was like to be sober. I liked it. I, you know, ran and lost weight and I was healthy and I woke up feeling good. I, you know, had been throwing up every morning for years and I wanted to be sober, but I wasn't doing anything to get that addiction to go away. It was always screaming, always having those cravings. So um, my husband finally dropped me off in St. George at my parents and um I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I want a new way of life. And so I'm an extremist. So uh, like the first time <laughs> I got married in Vegas in a grass skirt and a bikini top. And now I think, you know what's missing in my life? I need to go to that temple. So I think if I, we have LDS, we, uh, you live worthy at that time for a year and do certain things and do a repentance process and you can uh, have a temple recommend. So I assume that if I do this, then, and in my head, I felt like the Wizard of Odds lives there. And when I go to the temple, I will be able to, all my dreams are going to be met. So all that emptiness is going to be gone and I'm going to be fixed. So I'm sober for a year until I get to go to this temple and I, you know, I'm being completely honest and I'm going to meetings. I'm doing our 12 steps and the LDS 12 steps and I'm, and I'm really in my mind doing all the things I need to do. Yeah. We're, let's stop right there on that cliffhanger. Join us for part two where we find out how that narrative in her head worked out. We got a quick little 30 second commercial break from our sponsor. Thank you guys. Join us in part two. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery. And once you become the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome back. So episode 41, part two is rolling out. Episode 41, part two actually is brought to you by the Hilton Garden Inn. It's always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. So if you're traveling through Southern Utah, give them a Google search. Just type in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. Or if you're wanting to plan a getaway, St. George is a beautiful place. We've got a lot of beautiful red rock. Just give the Hilton Garden Inn a Google search. They are amazing. So clean. Love them. Love the place. Can't speak highly enough about them. So before that little break, yes. Gene took us up to... You had this epiphany. Yes. You came to this narrative in your head that all it was going to take is, is, and I don't want to make fun of this because getting to the temple is a serious thing, but as far as your recovery in sobriety goes, you thought that that was the end all be all. Right. This is just what I have to do. Yes. Which doing those things are very important and can be very amazing spiritually. However... How did it? Let's get it. Let's hear so it. So I go to the temple and I've, uh, you know, I met that goal, that dream. And I walk out and I'm the same person and I'm still empty. And I was devastated. It didn't, it didn't do what I needed it to do. So I hadn't done like personal spiritual work. I had followed the rules and done what they had asked, but I didn't have that uh, spiritual relationship that I have found in recovery. So within two weeks, I think I had relapsed again. So I was uh, working at the ski resort and started dating my boss and, and uh, I relapsed then. And so it was pretty devastating. Uh, during that relapse, it was really hard because everyone thought it was over. So there was a time out during that relapse that I got sober again and did pretty good for a few months and then relapsed again. And when I relapsed this time, 
I decided I was going to try to drink myself to death because I couldn't deal with the consequences. Like, I'm never going to get over this. I've disappointed everyone. Everybody was, you know, my family thinking if I was able to achieve this, I would be able to stay sober, and I couldn't. So I locked myself in my apartment and tried to drink myself to death for two weeks. And finally, some people I worked with came, and I went to the hospital, and I'm thinking, oh, I'll get that IV. So I've had to do that before with my drinking and and I was in kidney failure. So if I hadn't gotten in that day, then I, I could have died. So I had to stay in the hospital for a few days and I went to treatment for the first time at Highland Ridge and I loved treatment. I got to talk about myself all day. I got to do <laughs> yoga, and, but in 21 days um, I left because I knew it all. Cause I had worked the steps and I had done, you know, all this stuff the year before. So then again, I get out of treatment. I relapse again in two weeks and just a real struggle. And I'm single now. And, and I, uh, end up like drinking all this next summer and I drink every day and my life's getting really bad. Um, I had found a credit card I had got for $5,000 and lived on it in the summer. So that my money was out. I wasn't gonna pay rent. All my relationships were gone. I wasn't like that fun, cute drunk anymore. And and I was trying to clean houses and I it was uh, right before Memorial Day. It was a Friday and I got up early and I had been drinking the night before and I just drank a little bit so I could get there and clean this person's house. And as I'm cleaning it, they had an open bar. So I started drinking their vodka. Mm. Um, I got too drunk to finish cleaning the house, so I left and I got uh, my first felony DUI and I got it on sunset. And that kind of, that that's huge, like the three and 10 years. So I know I have to do jail time for 65 days. And so for nine months I stay sober, I'm doing pretty good. I'm staying sober, but I'm not going to meetings or doing recovery, I'm just staying sober. Which I, I wanna point out a couple things. So going through the temple, for people that aren't already spiritually bankrupt, mm -hmm. that's a very fulfilling thing. Right. That is a very spiritually um, empowering, like they get a lot from that. Right. And I but for us that struggle with an addiction and we are spiritually bankrupt, it's like knocking at a door, expecting somebody to answer, but nobody's home. Right. right? Because we haven't done the work on our own to. Yeah. To that be was, ready for yeah, that. My problem was I thought it was going to solve everything, that there would be magic and fix me. And I was still the same. I was still empty because I hadn't done the spiritual work yet, which I have done subsequently. And I have gone to the temple again. And and right. and it has been that for me. And then also, in, I wanted to point out, I, I wanted to point that out because I, I know that I know you don't blame them or, no, or no. the temple experience, no. it, you can realize that it was you that needed to right. do the work. Yes. But back then you didn't right. know that. Yeah. So when I was in treatment, my uh, therapist said to me, you know, you're very smart and you say everything right, but your head and your heart don't match. Oh yeah. I know the type. Yeah. So there wasn't any emotion. So there wasn't that emotion either. That first year, just staying sober to get to a goal. So it's very good as I can do this to get to a goal. The goal will fix me. Kind of like the goal of graduating treatment and finishing. Yes. And it's, I say this all the time. If your expectation is to go into treatment, come out and be cured and never have to do anything again. Yeah. You got a rude awakening, right? right? You got a two week relapse, just like Gene sitting here. Yeah. The goal of treatment is to teach you skills and to build things inside of you. It's a university of you. Right? Yes. It's the best university in the world of discovering you. Right. But then you have to take that education. You have to take those skills and you have to continue to do them every single day. And like what I think a lot of people do, you know, they get the binder from treatment and they walk out and I'm cured right into the trash bin. Oh, definitely. And along with throwing the binder away, that's kind of like a, you know, metaphor for what they do in their life. They throw all the skills that they learned away and they throw all the the things that the education they got while they were in there away. And so then they throw up their hands and go, oh, treatment didn't work. No, you, yeah. you just didn't continue to work. Well, treatment will keep you sober when you're in treatment, but you have to do the work afterwards to stay sober. So that's what I yeah. tell all my clients. Like, this is a great foundation, but the work begins when you graduate. So I, um, I'm really, really nervous about doing 65 days in jail for this felony DUI. So I relapse and I go on a runner and it's a terrible runner. I go to Mesquite and, and end up homeless on a houseboat with some person. And it's six weeks, just drunk as much as I can be. And I'm 
come home on Mother's Day. And my lucky mom, I haven't called her for six weeks. And I show up <laughs> oh, like she doesn't know if a you're mess. Dead or what's yeah. going on. Yeah. So I, as I said, I have to go to court and I have to go do this jail time. So the next Thursday, I talked to my public defender and I go in front of the judge and I say, I have to go and do this jail time because my life's not going in a good direction. And he says, well, I never have had anyone come in and ask to go to jail. When do you want to go? And I said, Monday, because I'm in the alcoholic stages. So uh, I'm going to party my last weekend and mm. no one's going to stop me. So I drink all weekend. Last. Yes. Hurrah. Yep. So I wake up Monday morning and uh, the person that was going to drive me to uh, jail said, I'm not driving you. He was very angry at me. I guess I embarrassed him. His children came to visit him and I was drunk all weekend. Well, I still had vodka left. So I thought I can drive myself to jail. <laughs> I stop at the liquor store and I drive myself to jail and I get a DUI on my way to serve time uh, <laughs> oh, for jail. So, yes. Jeez, so, so you were going to jail going for to a jail. felony DUI yes, and on your way literally to check into jail, yes. you get another DUI. Yes, I did. Oh my yes. goodness, Gene. Yes. So by the time I see the judge in July, um, I've got my speech and I'm sorry. And he looks at me and he says, Miss Todd, that was my criminal last name. Um, <laughs> you are a menace to society and I am not going to be responsible for when you kill someone driving drunk. I had treatment set up. I was going to be that guy or that, you know, I was going to get out and go that to treatment. Gal, yeah, that yep. was my, that was my plan. And he said, no way I'm sending you to the Utah state prison and the board of pardons is going to have to let you out. So I went to prison and I did a year from the day I walked into jail out when I went to prison. Well, when I went to prison, I kind of looked at my life and I said, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I done? The only amount of incarceration time you'd done prior to that was the two days the two day I got the two weeks also, but oh, I had okay. work release. So, so less than a month. Yeah. Oh, and you yeah, get sent yeah. to, to Utah, the, the Utah prison. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when I got to prison, I, I was ready to do anything I could have changed my life. And I went to church all the time. I trained for my first marathon. You could buy running shoes in prison and they had a track. I uh, taught classes cause I had my degree. So I had watched the secret before and I decided that I'm going to be in gratitude. When I was in prison, I met women that had killed people driving drunk. My blood alcohol for both my felony DUIs was a 0.34 and a 0.35. I was on a death run and I was putting everybody at risk and I wasn't quite humble yet but it happened during my time in prison when I got to meet those women that were there for 10 years because of what they had done so um, I did my work in prison and I stayed in gratitude and I got my spirituality when I got out of prison in June, my life was amazing quickly. I um, had kind of done that vision board and we were talking earlier about those things you really wanted in your life and I wanted to go back to church and I wanted to get married in the temple again. I was ready for that life and I had done the spiritual work. I met my husband. I had had an old match.com or LDS planet uh, like thing written out. Uh, like bio. profile. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And I just got my hair done and and so I, uh, I signed up for that and my, my current husband uh, up responded back. And so we went on a date. I had to, I think I rode my bike. We met at the library cause I didn't have a driver's license at the time. And, and we hit it off and in his, uh, in his request, he said, if you can't get married in the temple, don't respond to this. Well, I responded said, I can't now, but I'm in recovery and I'm in a repentance process. So that checked out okay and we started dating good for him for yeah. not you know not looking yeah. past and giving you a shot like yeah. like this is my favorite part of all of these stories when people come on part one getting through your backstory is good because it's relatability but if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself i'm way too far gone there's no hope for me right like tune into this because the gift of desperation is real and it doesn't matter if you're homeless doesn't matter if you're in prison right like this is the beautiful part. Oh, it, it, beautiful. It was like all those dreams. And it, well, our AA book says sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, because I had done the work. Um, 
We've been dating for two weeks now, and both of my husband's sons are police officers in Salt Lake. <laughs> and uh, so I finally have to go, you know, there's a little more to my story than I'm in recovery. Uh, I'm on parole. I got out of prison two weeks ago. and Yeah, because you know that they can just run your name and find out that yeah, information, right? Yeah, so and like- I have no idea if they have or what has happened, but they let me drive my kid, their kids in my car. And, and part of that was I had to have the interlocks. Well, part of the story was I was supposed to lose my driver's license for three years so I get out of prison after a year and within three months I'm able to get it back I um, just have to have the interlock in my car for five years and what a trade so to be able to drive and do that so I meet Jeff and we date for over a year um, year and a half before we get married I still had you know I'm still I may be in recovery but there's still a lot of work I need to do on myself and and we break up for a while and get back together but I I go back to church and I uh I'm working with a bishop that um you know I'm his first he's a new bishop and I get to tell him I'm out of prison and he's like wow so I work with him and by August he says I have a calling for you so callings are things that we do in the church that you Service know commitments. Yeah, help us serve he goes this is straight from God um and he called me to be the young women's president so I'm not even six months out of prison and I get called to be young women's president. I have the breathalyzer in my car and I'm driving all these young women around and they're saying, what is that? What is that, Sister Todd? I'm like, it is your young leaders, woman living the atonement. So, <laughs> I love that. Yes, I love yeah. that. So I... Uh, so things are going good and I'm sober for two years and my daughter calls me up and she asks me if I'll be her college roommate. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'm gonna be able to, you know, when she was a junior, I was in prison. So now that, you know, I've been sober for two years, she's gonna have me be her roommate. So we get this apartment in Provo, um, I take a break from Jeff for a while and, and I get to Provo and it's got a pool and, and it's a Friday. Friday I get there, my daughter's not coming till Sunday. And guess what goes through my mind? I can totally get away with this. I'm going to go to the liquor store and no one will know, yeah. you know, because, you know, I think. Mr. Hyde speaks up and yeah. says, stop listening to Dr. Jekyll. We know what's good for us and we have a window of opportunity. Yes. So oh. I go to the liquor store and I breathe it in my breath laser to drive home and uh, I get drunk and oh, wow, I'm back. I feel that kind of, oh, the first few drinks and then you get really guilty and it's terrible. Well, my oh. daughter shows up on a Saturday and I'm still drinking um devastated like how could you do this to me mom i never want to see you again i'm not going to do this with you so i relapsed that summer um after she left that day it was a sunday i could not sit in my feelings um and i went to the store i had to walk because i had the breathalyzer in my car and i didn't think i could blow into it and i bought rubbing alcohol and i drank two bottles of rubbing alcohol and uh ended up in the emergency room <sighs> and uh i got i went to be mad so you know those of you that spend have to go to be met for suicide attempt that's where I was I met a counselor that said to me Gene why do you have to be perfect I went what because I do like I can't either I'm this good or I'm not like I'm running marathons I'm not just like going for a three mile run I've got to run marathons and I've got to have the best calling and I've got to have all of these things and that just really those sentences like you don't have to be perfect really helped me so Jeff comes back in my life and uh he asked me to marry him and I'm like oh I you know I need to do this so we get uh, uh married in the temple in 2011 but I since I had relapsed that summer and I uh, got off parole and I said, I don't want to call myself an alcoholic anymore. I continue to relapse during the first five years of our marriage. Um, I finally get into the Sudsy program and I'm so excited and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've wanted to do this since I went to treatment the first time. So I get this job and, and I'm doing my stuff and I start writing papers about my old addiction. So it's Mm. all coming back. So I'm kind of relapsing a little bit here and there. I get my internship and I'm at Therapy. It was an amazing internship and, you know, I love it. And I'm drawing on the time that was two years after prison. I'm using that experience and I do pretty good. And I meet a great uh, clinical director that I just love, Craig Giorgiani. And he was a wonderful mentor to me and always told me about my natural talent and really helped me. But I'm kind of relapsing at night when I um, 
go work at this restaurant that I hate. And, and, uh, so I make it through that time. And I'm always thinking like, if I just had this job, that will fix me again. Oh, if I go to yeah. school, that will fix me. So, um, I get, I'll I, be happy when, yeah, yeah. So that was my whole life with the temple. I'll be happy now. I'll be happy when I do these marathons. I'll be happy when I get this job. So I make it through school and I end up not being able to quit drinking. So I got the opportunity to go to treatment five years ago. By this time, I am gonna do whatever they tell me in treatment. And I went to a wonderful place called Inspire. And Drew, I met Drew there who you had last week. And that this time, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do. And that's when my, um, when I went to the, went to AA, 90 meetings in 90 days when I got out, did the sponsor, work the steps. I had already been given so much. I didn't have to go to the rock bottom. I did when I was in prison, but you know, I, and I was really blessed in treatment that I, I had like a dream and I kind of saw myself being a counselor and I thought, oh, I didn't have to, you know, although it was really painful and embarrassing when I called up treatment to say, oh, I just got my Sudsy degree, but you know, I didn't quit drinking. The administration guy, the admissions guy said, I did the same thing. Like I relapsed when I got my Sudsy. And so it was like that shame was lifted right away that other people were like that. So I had a year of sobriety and I cleaned rooms at a hotel and became like the cleaning manager and waited tables and and did my spiritual work again and got that self-esteem that I wasn't anything outside myself. My job, who I was, doesn't make me me. Um, my athleticism or my schooling doesn't make me me. And I really found that inner peace. Uh, when I was a year sober, I uh, started applying for jobs with my Sudsy and I went through a series of interviews. One was at Lionsgate and went through three interviews. Um, I didn't have any experience. I didn't get that job. Um, I went to the methadone clinic because my resume was uh, ready. They hired me and they paid really well. So I was going to start that job just so I could get some experience. And a week later, Chris Clayton at Steps called me up and interviewed me. And so by then I'd gone through enough interviews. I didn't tell my whole story. I interviewed well. And he pretty much hired me on the spot. And he said, how much do you want to make? Well, I would have never asked for what I asked for because I didn't have experience, but I was going to make that at the methadone center. So it was like, one of those, is that odd or is that God that everything was set up? So I asked for what I was going to make and, you know, they said, okay, we'll pay you that 90, uh, 90 days. And my job at Steps has been amazing. It is, it is like my purpose. It was even when I get out of God's way and follow his plan, my life is incredible. And I love my clients, you know, that is, uh, I've been blessed with everything I've been through to have just great empathy for their pain mm. and uh, always believe them sometimes to my, you know, at least I have people around me like clinical directors and other staff members to help me uh, deal with some of the things that I may be too nice at. But it's just so fulfilling, as you know, as you're doing it to, uh, we were walking in to say, today and you're saying is it really work i mean can you call it work and i was like no i talk about myself all day and i get paid for it and, <laughs> and it is it's been an amazing career and it's been um i had the my husband loved horses and through our marriage he got a couple of horses and i ra rode with him and last year Ty Hansen asked me if I would go train to be an equine therapist. Nice. And yeah, so that has been an amazing, an amazing thing to add to the things I do in my treatment. So the cool thing about the equine therapy is that the horses have this ability to read emotions of people and mm -hmm. see what they're doing with. Plus, if people can watch the horses and put their story on them externally, they can learn from the horses. We had an experience a few weeks ago where I, I uh, was doing it with day treatment and I asked all the people that were in relationships because we we asked people not to be in relationships for a year. And so I had them get inside. They don't always listen. No, they don't. So the ones that were in these uh, relationships got in the round pen with, I have this big white horse and, uh, and he is very attached to the black horse. So we took the black horse and um, my other horse out front. And I had the people in relationships in the round pen with the white horse. The white horse freaks out. It's winning. It's running back and forth. It cannot not calm down because it's mm. alone. Um, one of the gentlemen that was in the round pen loves this horse. He's a feeler. And, and uh, his takeaway from that was like, oh my gosh, 
that horse, all of us in the round pen loved that horse and we wanted to do anything to calm that horse down, but because that horse didn't love itself, it couldn't accept like anybody else's love. And for him, everyone's always telling how great he is and he should love himself, but seeing how you can't give it to someone if they don't have it, you know? Yeah, People can love someone. So things like that, they get to see their stories externally through watching the horses and having interactions with them. And and so as a therapist, you stay out of the way and you, you let those stories evolve. So that's been a really neat thing to uh, be able to do with my job as well. So when I heard at meetings, the times I would go when I was in trouble and people would say, my life is so much better than I ever thought it could be when God plans it. I always held on to that. Like, I think you kind of like me had knew inside yourself. You were meant for great things. Like, oh, if I can yeah. just, just do that. Something's going to be really good. Well, this is the life I wanted. I would have never dreamed about the horse thing. That's like an added bonus, but I never knew what it would feel like. And it is amazing to live in recovery and be able to help people as a career and, and through the fellowship and the 12 step steps, I go to meetings and work with a sponsor and, and, uh, uh, work on my spiritual practice. But it is, you know, like I heard when I was, like you said, it's the gift of desperation that my life can be better than I ever dreamed. True. I didn't know what it was going to feel like. And it's amazing as you can attest to. Yeah. And I, I love that you, your story is awesome. I love it. It's not perfect. You didn't do everything perfect. No. Right. And, and, even getting your sub seat and then having to wait a year because you, you know, you weren't working a program while you were learning about it. I like that because I have this weird thing. I look back on my gift of desperation and my time in active addiction. And my takeaway is this, everybody needs three things. They need love, they need acceptance, and they need purpose. Oh yeah. And if you have two of the three or one of the three, you still are incomplete. You're still off balance. Yeah. And even looking at your story, there's times that you had love, there's times you had acceptance, but maybe you didn't have the purpose. Right. And when all three of those lined up, it's like, finally you got it and we're able to move into your greatness right. and your experience. So yeah, like that's, this is awesome. It's been a real treat. Like I've learned different things about you that I had no <laughs> idea, Jean. So thank you so much for. You're welcome. Sir. You're welcome. And that's one thing I always try to teach my clients too, that you need to have that something that's yours. Now there are times I did stay sober from running the marathon because I had something that was mine that I was proud of. Yeah. So that helped for a while, but you know, having your own passions and you know, becoming that person you need nobody. There's no partner that can fill me up. Like I can't get married or have a boyfriend that's going to do that. That's my own personal work. And so right. those are the things that we get to do when we start treatment. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on You're and sharing welcome. your story. Wasn't too painful, right? No, not at all. <laughs> like why I love treatment. I get to talk about myself. See? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And um, yeah, join us next week. Actually, sorry. I knew that there was a next week. Next week, we're going to take a break. Sean's leaving town on us. Sorry. Freaking Sean. And I'm moving into a house. So that's pretty exciting. I yes. get to do that today. Yeah. So thank you guys so much. This has been awesome. We'll see you in two weeks from now. Stay safe. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.